We are continuing a series called The Good Life, and uh, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you for joining us online and in the room as well. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew, I mean, sorry, Mark chapter, the end of chapter 9, the beginning of chapter 10. And what we talked about last week, just as a reminder, and this will help us kind of get into the flow of what today is about, what Jesus is speaking about in these chapters, is that the world has a megaphone on blast constantly. In fact, as time has gone on, the megaphone only gets louder and louder, and it's speaking to us uh, um, what the good life is according to the world, what you and I should be pursuing, how we should be living. It's the lie that the enemy has told from day one when he told Adam and Eve that if they would just eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would, uh, if they would do that, they would know all things. And that's why God didn't want them to eat of it because he didn't want them to become like them. And that is essentially the thing the megaphone is blaring into our hearts and into our lives day in and day out. This, this idea that you can be on a level playing field with God in your life, or you can be God of your own life, little g. And so that's the world's cry day in, day out, and it only gets louder. It doesn't change. It has new iterations, but it's the same, and it always has been the same. And uh, in the past few years, with the dawning of social media, it only gets louder. We see it day in, day out, ad nauseum, the megaphone tells us to pursue whatever we would like for our own lives, for our own sakes, to pursue the pleasures that this life has to offer. We're going to talk about this idea of the good life we talked about last week in general terms. This week we're going to look at the idea of pleasure versus self-control. That the, the world is saying, pursue all the pleasure you would ever want or desire or need. And so I think it's important for us to understand what is pleasure? What am I talking about? What are we talking about at this moment? And I came up with a little definition, just kind of my, try to, my way to try to explain it in my terms. And I said it's doing whatever you want, whenever you want, to bring yourself temporary satisfaction. Doing whatever you want, whenever you want, to bring yourself temporary satisfaction. Satisfaction that will be for a moment fleeting and one day will fade away. So pleasure or temporary satisfaction could come in many forms. Many of the forms we know of surround lust or unbiblical intimate acts. We can just leave it at that. You know what I'm talking about. But perhaps pleasure could come from uh, trying to fill a void in our lives through substances uh, perhaps alcohol or other substances where we take those things and try to please ourselves with them. It could be even food. So we oftentimes take things that are meant to be 
pleasurable, but we put our whole self into them for temporary satisfaction. Food is a good thing, but we do poorly when we allow food to be the thing that we are constantly reaching after. That one may even be an easier one for us to understand than some of the others. Or for maybe it's just more convicting to us all. We, we try to find comfort or temporary satisfaction from something that wasn't meant to bring us the satisfaction we need. Truly. It could just be, I want that thing that belongs to someone else. That's what we're talking about here when we're speaking of pleasure versus self-control. It's covetousness. It's, it's, it's going after whatever I want. And the world has told us we can have whatever we want. The megaphone that has been blaring in our lives tells us, go after it, get it, receive it. Who cares? And Christians have distorted this as well. I remember... Uh, being, uh, we, we were in a, a little praise band that we would go and we would do events uh, at times, usually for youth. But one time we went to this kind of uh, um, tent revival type of thing, but it was in a gym. Some guy had put it on, and usually we didn't ask a lot of questions. After this, we did. Well, we didn't ask a lot of questions and said, yeah, we'll go play. And so we went and played, and the first night was decent. Uh, some little red flags and the guy that was leading it and some of the things he was saying. But I remember the uh, second or third night, there was this man and he was uh, speaking to uh, the group there and he was giving a story and he was talking. I don't really, it was very hard to understand where he was, he was even going with his message. Hopefully, uh, you know, you're used to a message uh, where it has a beginning, a middle, and a close that didn't happen in this message. And one of the things the guy, the guy said was that he was following God uh, in his life, and at, or he was trying to follow, or he was describing this. And I think he was trying to follow God, but was kind of living his life however he wanted to. Said uh, at this moment, it was, it was so bizarre. I'd have to tell you the whole story later because it's so crazy. But basically, essentially, at this moment, he, he was living a life of a cross dresser. And he had gone to a supermarket and felt like God spoke to him and said, that woman right there is going to be your wife. Well, here's the problem. She was somebody else's wife. And this is like, it's, it was at that moment. He said a lot of bizarre things. It was at that moment, most of us got up and left. It was like, this is not good. Where's this guy going with this? And you laugh because you understand the, the craziness of that, but he allowed... To himself to think that God was going to allow that. That's not the megaphone of the Lord. That's the megaphone of the world. Go in and see someone you think she looks wonderful. You go and take her. Who cares if she is someone else's wife? I want to tell you that story because it's so bizarre, but it really captures the idea of the world's hold on our lives and even on some Christians' lives. But Jesus indicates we need to pursue something quite different. Self-control. What does this look like? What does self-control look like? And I think we know none of this is new or earth-shattering, but it is helpful for us to see that 
Where the world says, go after whatever you want, the Lord says, tame yourselves. Don't go after whatever you desire. Because what matters most is not what you get in this life that is temporary satisfaction, but what matters is what you get in life that brings eternal life, eternal satisfaction. And so in our text today, beginning in Mark 9, 42, we, we, we see several things. And we ask three questions that come from this text. And I pray that Jesus will help us to see how to listen to him rather than the megaphone of the world. The first thing that we ask of the text and ask of ourselves regarding the text is, will you become hard to sin or will you be made tender to the Savior? Will you become hard to sin or you, will you be made tender to the Savior? We find this beginning in Mark chapter 9, verse 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and uh, it, if he were to be thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. Self-control. It's better for you to enter into life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown in hell. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Let's just pause there for a minute. And we just can acknowledge, wow, that's really... A, a very grotesque way of saying be self-controlled, right? But the Lord is painting an image here for us to see how dire it is. Most of this is figurative language. It's not like you have to go out today and cut off whatever appendage has caused you sin. That's not exactly what the Lord is saying here. He wants us to see with figurative language how important it is to tame ourselves, to control ourselves, and to be self-controlled rather than doing whatever we want. Because remember, he's combating the megaphone of the world. He's speaking quite differently to us. Where their worm does not die, for, and then verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire. So salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. It's just a way of saying live your lives uh, he says, salty, live your lives according to my way, according to the way that you should live them. Uh, live your lives in the way that I have said. Verse 1 of chapter 10, he set out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him again, and was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, Is it lawful for, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. So let's look at this passage and we're asking the question, will you become hard to sin 
or be made tender to the Savior. Listen, we are hearing hard things right now. These things will confront our own hearts. So let's take a moment. Let's take a moment and pray that God would open our hearts to help us to see him and follow him. Jesus, we come to you now and we pray, God, that you would help our hearts to become tender to you, Lord. That you would help our hearts not to be hardened any longer, but to become tender, God. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear you, Lord. Make us and help us to be what we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, we see Jesus telling his disciples how to enter heaven and how things of this world, temporary satisfaction, can hinder that. And in 10.5, Jesus mentions so the, 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 these Pharisees are coming to Jesus and they ask him a very practical question. Now they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to get him to say something they think is blasphemy or they disagree with. And so they say, Jesus, well, tell us, what do you think about divorce? What's going on with a man that divorces his wife? And that's what they ask. Now I just want to be clear, this passage of Scripture is not about divorce. That's what's mentioned here. That's the, what's uh, used as an example to get to a deeper truth. And so we're going to dig into the deeper truth to see what our own hearts need to hear. So they wanted to figure out how can, uh, what does he say about this, about this thing? 10.5, Jesus says, Well, he said in 10.3, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send wives away. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. You see, Moses allowed divorce, and Jesus knew that it was allowed because the people were going to do whatever they wanted to do anyway because their hearts were hard. They wanted to go after temporary satisfaction rather than long-term, eternal things that God had put in place. And God knew, or Moses knew, that they would never change. Listen, hard hearts come from always pursuing our own pleasure. And that should be scary to us. That if we are constantly, always, only going after what we want, what we desire, and our temporary satisfactions, then eventually the Lord will turn our hearts over to that thing that we pursue. And our hearts will become hard. That's what he says here. See, they wanted that. They wanted that temporary satisfaction. They wanted that one thing that they were chasing after. They wanted it, and so they pursued it, and the Lord eventually let them have it and hardened their hearts towards it. But we are not to live according to our own temporary satisfaction, but according to eternal principles. Think about it this way. It was dry in their lives. It was an arid desert. 
there was no life-giving water there in their lives. And Moses knew that, and Moses permitted them just to go and do that. Their lives were dry. Their lives were arid. They lived their life however they wanted. It was devoid of the life-giving water, in this way, Jesus or God. But Jesus, in turn, wants our hearts not to be hard. He wants our hearts to be tender. That's why he uses the analogy of salt. Salt preserves. Salt gives taste. But salt also tenderizes. Jesus wants us to have a tender heart toward him. And so we ought to let the water of our Savior wash over the dry, arid desert that can be our heart at times. We need the salt to be penetrating us and helping us to become tender to our Savior. The second question we ask ourselves, will you seek a way around or submit to God's way? The Pharisees were seeking a way out. They're trying to find a way around what God had said. This is very dangerous, but we do it too. Why? Because the megaphone of the world is telling us to do it. The, world, the world's megaphone is saying, you can live your life however you want to. And so when we get confronted with truths like this in Scripture, we don't like it. It's friction. It's frictionous. It rubs at us, and we say, wait a second. How can I move around these things? How can I get around these thoughts? How can I get around these truths? So it's dangerous. May we never seek to nullify or rationalize, uh, nullify or try and find a workaround to rationalize our sin and pursue our temporary satisfaction instead of following God's eternal way. God's way is lasting, amen? Is everybody with me? Because, and I know, I know, like, this is a hard truth, but I just need to know you're with me. Are you with me? Hey, good. That was awesome, guys. Good. Thank you so much. God's way is lasting. It's everlasting. God's way is perfect. And so what we see, the perfect way of God, in this particular example, the perfect way of God is that two would be made one. And that's what Jesus says. Look at 2 through verse 9 of chapter 10. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? I know we read this already, but it picks up here. He replied to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation... So God's way from the very beginning, the way he designed, God made, uh, from the very beginning God of creation, God made them male and female for, a re for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So in this exact example of marriage, divorce, and all this, we see this thing of God's way is perfect. And when God's way is torn apart by man, guess what? It rips that one flesh in two, but it's not a clean break, is it? But that, but that, because that's not the way God designed it. God's way is perfect. So let me just say this in a moment. I realize 
divorce hits all of our lives. This passage is not about divorce, even though that's the thing that's used to describe what's deeper for our own hearts. Do you understand? So I understand that many of us, our lives have been affected by that. This is not meant to be a heavy weight to hang on anyone's shoulder. If you'll follow with me, you'll see in just a moment of how we are all guilty of the same type of sin. And we need Jesus to fix it for us. We need Jesus to cover it for us. And we need him to fix our jagged edges that we have caused in our own lives. Jesus just gives a very good example for us to see how clear this picture is. So in our lives, what will we pursue? Will we pursue our way? Will we pursue a way around? Will we pursue a temporary way? Or will we pursue Jesus' way? The third question that we see that helps us kind of figure out what's in this passage is that will you pursue your pleasure or practice integrity? Look at chapter 10, 10 through 12. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this because they were like, wait a second, this is, this is new to us. They, were, they had heard the world's megaphone as well. And Jesus said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Adultery is, a, is, is one of the big ten, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, what does it mean? I think adultery is a lack of integrity. A lack of integrity. We didn't do what we said we would do, right? Integrity is, I'm going to do what I said I would do. Now, I understand there's circumstances. There's grace. The Lord covers those. This is not meant to hang some kind of heavy weight. Remember what Jesus, Jesus said to them about the little children in verse uh, 42 of chapter 9? But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him to, if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It's not my aim to make it difficult for people to come to tr trust and faith to the Lord. That's a very dire uh, truth. That if I'm adding something to the Scripture, if I'm, if I'm uh, adding legalism to it, then it's, it'd be better for a heavy weight to be put on my neck and thrown into the, the sea myself. That's not the point of this. What we see in this passage is a contrast about temporary satisfaction and eternal integrity. We must not seek something that won't last. We need to seek eternal things. Do you see? We must not seek temporary things that will one day end. We must seek the eternal, lasting in, uh, way of God the way of Jesus. So, you've messed up? Me too. I've messed up. Can I just be honest with you right now? And, you know, you can write this in the papers if you want to, but take the whole context, okay? I've committed adultery. You may think, oh my goodness. Jesus said, listen, listen. Jesus said, if anyone looks at a woman with lust in their heart, they're guilty of committing adultery. And unfortunately, I've done that. And so I'm guilty of adultery. We're all in trouble. 
if Jesus continues to hold our sins in our previous pursuits of temporary satisfaction, if he holds those against us, any of us, we're all in trouble. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have things that we've pursued for temporary satisfaction. You see, all of us have. So we're all out of luck. If the Lord will hold that against us, we're all in trouble. But we practice integrity when we are first honest about our own estate before a holy God. We are all in trouble, and we must admit that. But that's not over. That's not where we end. Yes, let's admit, we need the grace of Jesus Christ to cover each and every one of us. There is a Savior. There is a way out. There is forgiveness. Jesus made a way for us to be to have integrity and to be humble. Be humble before the Lord. The Bible says is that God gives grace to the humble and opposes the proud. You know what the proud does? The proud says, I'm a pretty good guy. I haven't done that much wrong. I know a lot of people that's done a lot worse than me. The Bible says God opposes that. You remember the, the publican? And you remember the, the, the tax collector? The tax collector was on the ground beating his chest. God, don't, don't look at me, a, a sinner. Don't, don't forgive me, God. I am a sinner. I'm in sin. And Jesus told the disciples, look. And the publican was there and he said, look, at, look how awesome I am. God, I'm, not li- I'm glad I'm not like him. Glad I'm not like a sinner like him. And Jesus said, the man beating his chest on the ground was the man that would receive the grace of God, that God would look upon him instead of the man standing up, praying to the same God, saying, I'm a pretty good guy. So what does that tell me? That tells me I want to be humble before the Lord. And if I'm honest, I know I need to be because I know I have no business doing what I do today or even receiving the grace of the Lord. I have no business of that. If it's on me and my merit and what I've done, I'm in trouble just like everybody else. But, but, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, no, you ain't got a chance in the world on your own. But Jesus did it for you. Jesus made a way. So let's have integrity today and admit that we've all messed up, that we're guilty of wrongdoing, and that we 
have all listened to the megaphone the world has, has, has constantly spoken over us. And let's be honest today and say, Lord, I need you. So take a moment where you are. Would you just pray right where you are and just say, Lord, I need you. Help me to see how I need you. Help me, what, help me to know what sins need to be confessed before you today, God, that I need to be honest and have integrity about. Would you just pray that right where you are? Because in a moment, the Lord will have an opportunity to respond to him. And so I pray that as you pray that prayer, that the Lord would speak into your own heart and life what you need to do to respond unto him. God, we need you. We all need you. Every one of us. There is one way, at least, we've all listened to the megaphone of the world and pursued whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, for our own temporary satisfaction. And so, God, we need you to right the wrongs, to fix it, to cover our sins. Lord, and the scripture says that love covers a multitude of sins, Lord. And you loved us to the fullest degree when you died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And so, God, may your love cover our sins now in this moment. And that we would no longer pursue the pleasures of the world or temporary satisfaction, Lord, but we would pursue self-control. And that we would do that in Christ and in your strength, Lord. You told Paul that your strength is made perfect in his weakness, Lord. And if Paul was weak, then I'm weak and everyone's weak. And we need your strength to be perfected in us right now, God. And so please move in our hearts, move in our lives. Change us, Lord, so that we would depend upon you, God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing, and if God is moving in your heart, you follow him in this moment.